Hi, it's Reverend Kurt Condra at Unity on the North Shore in Evanston, Illinois. Unity offers positive, practical, and progressive teachings that support spiritual evolution and abundant living. You can join us for our weekly Sunday service at 1030 in these days of sequestering. It's by Zoom. Uh, so please visit our website at www.unityns.org and register for the Zoom link. If you missed the service, you can also see the video version of our Sunday lessons on our YouTube channel, Unity North Shore. Again, visit us at our website, www.unityns.org, to see the many ways in which we're creating connection in this time of physical distancing. God bless. Continuing our exploration of lessons that we have learned through this past year of pandemic of crazy social cultural upheaval um, and we've talked about fear what we learned about fear Christina talked about that last day or last week we've talked about grieving and this morning we're talking about injustice what have we learned about injustice over the course of this past year and I know it sounds kind of odd, probably, but I would say what we have learned, or one of the things that we have learned, is about how injustice actually connects us. Doesn't that sound kind of weird? Like, don't you think injustice is what would create disconnection, separation? And yet, I think what the events of this last year have proven is that none of us can be separate from the pain or the suffering of others. Right? There, is a, there is a way in which all of our hearts have been touched deeply by the George Floyd murder and trial and um, now sentencing. Right, We have all been touched by that um, in ways that I think, and I'm going to unitize a little bit, are a gift. You know, Having that realization that we can never be separate is in one sense an affirmation of what we believe in unity to be the most basic truth, that we are all one in God. Um, and what it also does, I think, is it invites us into a deeper understanding, a deeper really exploration of how it is that we can bring um, our own love, our own wholeness, our own empathy and compassion into greater expression for those who might be different from us, right? For those who might be suffering in ways that, that we don't. And I'm Honestly, I don't know what I'm going to talk about this morning. My head is going in about 15,000 different directions because I've kind of been on this exploration for a long, long time. Like, I knew in ministerial school that part of my work was going to be about building bridges between cultures. I knew that that was a piece of what I wanted my ministry to be about. So I've been sort of developing um, my understanding of that and my... Um, increasing an appreciation for my ignorance of what that would entail for the last almost 15 years now. And so I think what I'm going to do is kind of trace through some of what I've learned. And I know that sometimes that can sound a bit self-indulgent, but what I would invite you to do is um, reflect in, uh, in the points that I try to make. I'm hoping that what they do is spark something within you about maybe spaces in your own life or your own journey where there was some awareness that, that you could enhance or go more deeply into. Or um, perhaps I'm going to talk about a couple of um, total failures I've had in terms of being that bridge that I, that I experienced. Um, 
and I, I, yeah, failure. Failure in terms of the outcome that I was expecting in that moment, but also they became stepping stones for how my own realization could be more fully realized. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really, this is a, what I'm hoping to do is create a sort of talk that inspires to you to think through your own progression of how you have come to regard justice and how you have come to be um, a stand or a, a, a furtherance uh, of justice in the world, right? So even though I'm talking about my own stories, I'm hoping that what happens is that you think through similar experiences in your own life or that you can find um, resonance with what I'm talking about and relate it to, wow, yeah, I, I've experienced that, I've felt that, and I see how now I can use that to move further into being a greater expression of that divine love that we know is the truth of all of our beings, of all people. So I'm gonna start with like a story out of ministerial school. Um, as I mentioned, part of my passion has always been about some, some form of bringing racial equity into fuller expression. And so I volunteered, this was my second year of ministerial school, this is back when it was a two-year program. So we were the big seniors on campus, right? And we were working with the underclassmen. And we decided we were gonna create this Martin Luther King Day celebration. And we had been studying about the history of unity, and those of you, I've spoken about this before, um, so I'll sort of briefly recap it for those of you who don't, but unity was founded in Kansas City, the heart of Missouri, which was part of the Confederacy. Um, so there was a very Southern kind of um, mentality around unity, and there has been for a long, long time. Even though we have always espoused that we are all created in the image and likeness of God, our rhetoric didn't always match the practices that happened within our organizations or institutions. Um, and as we began to study more about that and what that looked like, we decided that for this Martin Luther King Jr. Day, we wanted to bring to the forefront some of the black leaders who had always been a part of Unity. From its very earliest years, our message of inclusivity had attracted black students, black truth seekers from the very earliest graduation picsters. There were um, black students who were a part of it. And so we wanted to like bring those names forward and celebrate that. And we also came to understand the story of Johnny Coleman, who founded the universe, uh, CUT, uh, Christ Universal Truth, Christ Universal Truth, sorry, the, the, the mega church down on the south side. Johnny Coleman was a very charismatic, powerful unity minister who came up um, through the Unity Ministerial School at the time when some of these racist policies were in place. And so she began to sort of shift things for us and for us as a movement. Um, she objected to being having to live off campus and her, her class kind of rallied around her and that policy was changed. It's the first time that black students were allowed to stay on the grounds at Unity Village. So that was sort of a landmark piece of our history. And then Johnny Coleman went on to, she actually did serve on Unity Worldwide Ministries as a trustee for a while. But in the course of that, it was kind of like, in my mind, it's sort of like, remember Barack Obama was elected and there was this, at least for me, this kind of euphoric sense that we had reached a new height, right? And what we didn't realize then that we now realize 10 years later is that it was just exposing sort of the, the real power of those oppressive forces that were underneath it. I think that kind of happened with Johnny Coleman's leadership at Unity Worldwide Ministry. Shortly after that, she left Unity completely and founded her own ministry down in, in the south side of Chicago that has, it, it continues to this day. She died just a few years ago, but that ministry continues. Anyway, we wanted, us, us <laughs> those of us in the class of 2004 and 2005 wanted to honor that. And so we came up with this scheme to not only recognize all of the black leaders who had come up through the movement that we could identify, 
but we wanted, um, we wanted there to be a reconciliation between Unity Worldwide Ministries as an organization institution and Johnny Coleman. And so we were, there were a group of, um, I think eight of us that got together to create that. It was a mixed group, black and white. And in the course of that, what I recognized in myself is that it was for me, it was all about, let's get the work done. You know, it's all about, okay, we're gonna invite Johnny Coleman to campus. Okay, we're gonna work on a reconciliation. And, and we talked with uh, the CEO of Unity at the time, would he be willing to issue a formal apology? And that would be sort of the culmination of this. And so we were all about the details. And what I failed to recognize then that I would do differently now is that it was, it was an incredibly um, vulnerable space to be asking other black Unity ministerial students into, right? Um, they had their own experiences of how those kinds of policies, even though they weren't in place anymore, but still had resonance, their own experience. And so as we did our work, and I was, I was in, um, sort of one of my other classmates who was kind of on the same mind framework that I was, we were wanting to get the work done, and we missed the opportunity to really invite um, especially the black students to share what their experience was. And so one day that all came to this sort of ferocious head and one of the women um, sort of zeroed in on me and I have never experienced that much anger, that much, um, um, I, what's the word I want? Something more intense than anger but less than hate. <laughs> but that much just intensity and I could just feel it like moving through my body. I kind of got stiff and at first I was, um, and as she went on this tirade, I realized that it wasn't just about me and how I was showing up. I mean, certainly that was a trigger, the way that I was kind of interrupting and all the stuff that you're not supposed to do when you're creating a safe space for those who have experienced depression. Um, that all came out and um, I left. Um, it, it, it was a very awkward for the whole team. No one quite knew what to do with it. and. Um, I, I don't even remember how it ended, but we sort of went our separate ways. And I remember the next day I was physically ill, like that much the venom that she had carried. I just sort of, in my mind, I've internalized that and was physically ill. And that evening I got a call from, um, her name is Gloria Holt. She's a unity minister now. I'm still in touch with her now and there. And she's an amazing musician. And she said, we're coming over. And she came over with the three other black women who were a part of that group. And they came with homemade soup and this horrible tasting tea that they forced me to drink, and this salve that they had created. You know how, um, you know how Vicks VapoRub has like this menthol cooling? This was a homemade thing that was like 10 times that strong. And so they, I took off my shirt and they had me, slathered the stuff all over me and wrapped me up in a towel and left me. It was my first experience of, um, of what I have seen to be one of the most beautiful components of black culture and black um, social interaction. They take care of one another. They take care of others in a way that, you know, maybe our mom or our grandmother would do that for us, but you wouldn't show up at someone for, that you worked with necessarily and create that kind of a healing experience. Next day it was gone. <laughs> the whole thing was cleared up. This whole sinus thing was gone. But I just remember it's the first time that I really sort of understood how ignorant I was, not only about the ways in which um, I was experiencing um, the privileges that come with the color of my skin, but also ignorant of the blessings that I was missing because I was so unaware. That was like just the beginning of my, of my awakening, I would guess. And I would say that's come into greater clarity over the course of this last year um, as I look back and sort of remember those experiences together. 
we went on, we did, we did create that event. Um, Johnny Coleman came down from Chicago. She brought three busloads of her congregants to be there for this, this, this statement of reconciliation that the CEO of Unity Worldwide Ministry was going to, to present. And, you know, we as students were really excited about this. And um, we, had, we had booked the Unity Village Chapel, which seats like 1,200 people. So Johnny Coleman comes with three busloads of people. And there were fewer people there probably than there are in this sanctuary right now from Kansas City. Our ministerial classes were there. A few people from Silent Unity attended. But it was, it was, it was disappointing, I guess, that there wasn't more of a response. And it was awkward. Um, the CEO statement, I don't even remember it, but I remember it being kind of stilted and awkward for him, as so many of these conversations involving race are. But it was a step forward, right? It was, we sort of made it through that step. And boy, Johnny Coleman took the platform <laughs> and, and uh, she let us have it um, in, a, in a good way. I mean, we left sort of feeling expired, but there were inspired, but there was no question about the power that she had and the strength of her ministry when she left there and really was a call for us to continue the work. And uh, so this week, or actually last week, remember we just recently had a convention um, worldwide, you know, Worldwide Ministries had their annual convention just a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things that happened at that convention is that the president of the board of trustees um, shared a statement of diversity. And it is, I wanna, I'm gonna read, I'm not gonna read the whole thing to you, but I'm gonna read a big chunk of it to you because I'm, I'm sort of, uh, and this is maybe a little bit of sort of patting myself on the back, but I'm like, I feel like um, our little Martin Luther King Day Jr. celebration w was a part of how we have grown into this space. That it, you know, it's all part of a continuum. But the statement is absolutely um, beautiful, and it's it sort of a it, it is aspirational, but it also includes some really deep commitments for how unity as a movement intends to move forward in this process. So. I wanna share it with you because I think it also is going to inform how we move forward. You know, we've been involved um, for years now, going on three years, with the question about where our right and perfect home might be. And the congregation voted in January that we would list the property. And so it's been on the market and there's some stuff happening that um, nothing definite that we can report on. But one of the one of the criteria that we established, the leadership team established, is that as we move forward with that process, we wanted to make sure that, um, that if we were to find a buyer, that they would, be, they would have a commitment to furthering racial equity. That if there were contractors, if there were other consultants being involved, that there would be a, 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 an open sort of platform so that other races might be included, or if there were contractors or consultants from other races, that they would be a part of the process. And so we've kind of held firm on that. And I'm very pleased that we just recently hired a lawyer to represent us once we move into a negotiation phase who is a um, very strong, wonderful African-American woman from a firm in Chicago. Um, her name is LaVon Johns, and you'll get to meet her if at some point we're talking about what those negations are. She'll be here to speak to it. But we've sort of, we've sort of stood in that space and brought a black voice into the discussion that we're having around what happens with this property. And I, I'm, I'm proud of that. I, and it's not enough, certainly, but it, it was, it was definitely a, a conversation that we held as part of the leadership team in terms of making the choice about who's gonna represent us. 
So there are ways in which our ministry is also reflecting what's happening at the worldwide level. And there are ways in which I think we can continue to embody it more fully. So let me read you the statement that, um, that was adopted at our most recent convention or our part of it. Unity Worldwide Ministry stands for anti-racism, i.e. we are opposed to racial hatred, racial violence, bias, systemic racism, and the oppression of people of color. We stand for diversity, equity, and inclusion for people who are marginalized because of color. No individual or group should be made to live in fear or excluded from society. Recent events in the United States and the world remind us that violent repression, prejudice, injustices, and inequalities toward people of color are embedded in societies, from social structures to institutions to cultures. Unity chooses to be more aware and take positive action in dismantling systemic racism and social structures that support injustice and prejudice and we raise awareness throughout our membership, churches, and centers. Whereas unity stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion for people of color, our second principle states human beings have a spark of divinity within them, the Christ spirit within. Their very essence is of God, and therefore they are also inherently good. This principle applies to all people, regardless of color. And whereas we are fully committed to Unity Worldwide Ministries being an ambassador for diversity, equity, and inclusion in our world, and as an example through our actions in the Unity Movement, and whereas UWM and the Board of Trustees acknowledges that there has been and is systemic racism in Unity, we acknowledge and accept responsibility for the impact that our history with racism has made upon our black and brown friends, colleagues, congregants, students, employees, and patrons, both past and present. We commit to eradicating any and all systems, policies, and practices that would anyway replicate our past mistakes and reproduce an environment that discriminates against or is inhospitable toward people on the basis of race, color, or ethnicity. Now, therefore, be it. And they list a whole bunch of resolutions Many of them are about institutional changes that they'll make in his organization, but one that I think is going to um, ripple out to touch our ministries is that, thought I was on double-sided paper when I printed this, that, um, that to detect, we resolve to detect and dissolve systemic racism within themselves and build healthy, diverse, equitable, inclusive communities. So that's involving all members of unity, regardless of race, creed, or color. It goes back to sort of the foundational principle of unity that the work that we do for raising consciousness starts within. You know, it's personal work we do to, to begin to reveal the places in our own hearts where we might be holding bias or prejudice. The play, the, the, the the capacity within to recognize in our own hearts where we may still be holding some wounding that needs healing and, and to be willing to be vulnerable enough to allow others to support us in safe ways. And so what I'm imagining is that as we move forward in this community as unity, that we will embody more fully um, the kinds of principles that Jesus brought, for, brought forward, you know? I know to some extent it can sound like, okay, all this social work, justice work is about politics, is about social change, but what I would invite you to remember is that it is absolutely spiritual work, right? This, this moving within and recognizing the places within us where we're not fully embodying the love of the Christ, where we're not fully embodying the wholeness of the Christ, that's interpersonal spiritual work. And, 
it's wonderful that we're kind of able to hold those truths sort of in our own minds and in our own hearts and begin to embody them, and it's not enough, right? The next step is how do we move that out so that we can to begin to embody it in the actions that we take and the ways that we show up. Um, I mentioned that it's been kind of a journey that I've been on for a long, long time, and um, beginning back there in ministerial school or before, and one of the things I wanted to share is how um, pivotal my understanding of my own bias, of my own privilege, of my own ignorance um, has been shaped and affected by one of our own, um, the late Hecky Powell. He was um, a dear man, well-known in Evanston, um, brought healing, brought controversy, was, was, uh, was sort of a lightning rod for uncomfortable conversation sometimes so that these issues of race could be brought to the fore and healing could begin. Um, but he also worked with me in ways that, uh, now I'm sure he knew about it. <laughs> um, so one of the first and one of the most impactful for me was I was visiting him at the restaurant. He's got a restaurant, a very busy intersection here in Evanston. And the cops had pulled over a car of um, mostly black youths, pulled over the car, and Hecky immediately um, sort of moved the whole conversation outside so that he could see what was going on. And as I started to ask him, you know, he was explaining that he was actually there to sort of be um, a, a set of eyes, to be a presence, to be a witness for what went down. And as we talked through the conversation, um, I, I was still kind of puzzled by it. I wasn't getting it. Like, I, my assumption is that when the cops pull somebody over, there must be some reason for it, right? There is some, there's been some infraction, there's some violation, there's some. But as we sat there and watched, the next step was the cops got all four kids out of the car. So now they're standing out on the curb. I've been pulled over a number of times. I've never had anything like that happen. And I started, I, and it's Hecky kind of, as I started to like talk about my questions, Hecky just turned to me and he sort of looked with this, uh, you just don't get it. You know, you don't get it. And at the time I left confounded and a little bit confused. But what I've begun to recognize over the last number of years is, you know, I wanted to ask him more. I wanted, I wanted Hecky to explain to me what it was I didn't know. And what I've come to realize is that is not Hecky's job. That is not the job of those who have been oppressed is to educate the rest of us who um, have benefited from those same kind of attitudes and societal dynamics that, that benefit us. It's not the job of others to sort of educate us. And what I've come to is a, a greater appreciation or understanding of the grace through which those people of color in my life have sort of nurtured me along, right? That, that there, there's just an incredible, there's incredible work to be done between the two sides, white, and by two sides I mean white and people of color, anybody who's white and non-white I guess would be that, that there's incredible work to be done, but a lot of it really starts with the work of white people to begin to recognize, wow, I am so blind to um, this water that I swim in that I don't really have an appreciation for the kinds of oppression that really, um, for me, I first experienced those many years ago in working with a, with a biracial group on that project, right? Where, where I experienced the, 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 the tremendous, I wish I could remember the word, rage, that's the word I want, between hate and, and, and anger, there's rage. 
Um, and it's, it was sort of my experience of that. And, and to understand that that arises um, not about, out of any single expression, but out of a lifetime of living under an oppressive rule that those of us who are white have never had to consider. So my invitation is that as, as we move forward, that each of us has a role to play in this journey toward healing, in this vision that has just been outlined of unity standing for um, that kind of unconditional acceptance that each of us has a role to play. And certainly it starts within by recognizing the places where, or by being willing to be shown the places where we might be ignorant for those of us who are white. And on the other side, for those of us who are not white, to be willing to recognize the places where we might still be wounded. Here's some more self-indulgent stuff. Because see, what I know, and uh, I'm breaking rules here because they say never, if you're, you don't sort of deflect with your own pain when you're trying to support someone else coming to terms or healing with their own, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that, I'm breaking that rule. Um, so as a gay man, I think that might be why um, I've had this affinity for wanting to see um, oppression addressed in other ways. I think that's, I've, I've learned, sort of long been kind of aware or recognizing the ways in which um, in which those who don't have the same sort of opportunities that I do, I, there's, there's just a thing about that. And um, now I've totally forgotten my point about that because I was wanting to be sure that I was apologizing for trying to equate um, the experience that I've had as a gay man with that that a person of color might have, thinking if I ramble, it'll come to me. Um, at any rate, I think, oh, I know what it was. So here it is. So as a gay man, I can remember, um, as a gay man, you think, okay, gay people, how could gay people be homophobic, right? How is that possible? I'm gay myself. But I remember sort of as coming to terms with my own sexuality, I remember like being in the room the first time I saw two men kiss. And we had been out to a gay club. It was like I was in my 20s and I was just starting to become aware of that. And I can remember feeling repulsed. Like, okay, you can do that, but you should do that in privacy of your own home, right? That, that's the level at which my attitudes about homosexuality had been shaped. What love looked like and, and what was permissible and what wasn't. And I guess what I, and I'm not wanting to equate that with a black experience or a brown experience, but only to suggest that I think there are ways in which racism gets internalized to a degree that all of us are on a lifelong process of healing and uncovering and unveiling it, right? And being willing to, um, to allow others to support us in ways that, that haven't been possible because I think that's what unity offers. You know, I think unity is a special kind of community that may be a little bit more advanced than much of the rest of our, our societal structure. Not to say that we're the only ones, certainly, but I think in unity there's a certain level of acceptance that, hey, we are one in God. I mean, that, that, that's our primary principle, and I think that puts us on a footing that really allows us to lead um, in this arena in ways that, that are more important now than ever. So we all have some way that we can begin to heal ourselves, that we begin to educate ourselves, and that we can be a presence and a power for creating greater sense of inclusivity and diversity and un unconditional loving as we move forward. So, 
I'm hoping that as I talk through some of those examples that maybe you can move yourself into or remember a time when you were sitting at a table or working with a group and some attitude had come up. Maybe it wasn't even um, an interracial group, but maybe in a group of white people, something came up that you realize wasn't quite right. And wow, there's a way that I could have responded to that. Maybe there's a, you know, as we bring more awareness to the opportunities that we have to be that source of love, then I think it advances our, our confidence in being able to speak into those more fully. One of the resolutions that, that came about as a result of that declaration is that Unity Worldwide Ministries is committed to creating um, curriculum and materials that ministries can use to, <coughs> to be able to advance these efforts for us. And so I'm really looking forward eagerly to how we can begin to embody those and offering them as we move forward. Um, and so that's my commitment to you, that we will find ways to support you in being an advocate, an ally for it, being an anti-racist ally, uh, because I think that's the most important work that we can be doing at this point in um, uh, certainly U.S. history, but at this point in our lifetimes. I think that um, the embodiment of that kind of wholeness is the greatest gift that we could give, not only to ourselves, but to our wider community here in Evanston and, and to the world. So we're going to be looking for ways to do that. So um, at this point, what I'd like to do is invite um, Nancy and Dennis to sort of set a tone, and then we'll move into a time of meditation when we'll really open our hearts to see if there's not some guidance about how we can embody these principles of inclusivity, allyship, and anti-racism more fully. And so I invite you to settle into your seat, and whatever it is that you do to create a greater sense of openness and receptivity so that your heart might be open, your mind might be clear. I invite you to make whatever adjustment those involve. Feet flat on the floor, palms up, focus on breath, whatever your practice entails, just take a minute and center in. We become fully present to the power of peace and love that lies at the heart of all that is. into this spaciousness, I want to begin by just acknowledging that, oh my goodness, this past year has been filled with so much loss, so much pain. But also to recognize that we, we stand at the edge of sort of emerging from that with a deeper understanding of how pain heals of how love and compassion express, of how ignorance is overcome. And we recognize that this threshold is actually an opportunity for each of us to stand more fully in the power of who we truly are, to let light and love flow freely through us and as us, and to touch the lives of those around us. And so as we breathe in, I invite you to just allow spirit to guide you in maybe a thought pattern or a trail of thought that might suggest what's yours to do as we step into this beautiful opportunity to bring light and love more fully into expression. 
one of the blessings of the challenges last year has wrought is that there are so many resources available. Films, podcasts, books, movies. There are so many ways that we can enrich our understanding and inspire us to be channels through which forgiveness expresses and healing arises. So as we rest in just a moment of silence, see if spirit doesn't suggest to you a right and perfect next step for your journey into wholeness, into allyship, into creating that world that we know can work for all. In the silence, invite spirit's guidance. And so as we prepare to bring this time of reflection to a close, we give thanks for guidance received, for opportunities that lie ahead. And I also invite you to, um, to make a commitment within your own heart to take some action, whether it be as simple as starting a conversation with someone unlike you. as deep as forgiving an injustice that might continue to hold some energy in your heart. We know that it's in this power of prayer where we access the strength and the wisdom and the guidance to be able to embody that kind of a commitment. And so we declare it to be done in the name and through the power of the living, loving Christ presence. We move forward in light, in love, to be light and be love. So it is, and so we let it be. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving us a review. And if you'd like to support the ministries of Unity on the North Shore, you can text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 815-827-6052. Again, text GIVE to 815-827-6052. Or visit us online and click the donate button, www.unityns.org. You'll also find there a complete menu of offerings for sort of remote and distance learning through this time of sequestering. God bless you, and again, thanks for joining.